I also get the joy to speak with you guys this morning and uh, share with you what God's doing. When I was putting this sermon together and thinking about what to share, um, I wanted to tie in the four different things that we're really focusing on here this morning and, and what, what can combine all those things together. And so for graduation, I put down here, up to this point, each year has kind of been planned out for these young people. You know, they know that after first grade comes second grade, second grade, third grade, and that, that, that it goes on and all of a sudden you hit 12th grade and it's like, ah, what's next? You know, where do I go from here? And they, you know, some of them go off to college, some of them go in the military, some of them go into the workforce, but just trying to find that, um, what, what is going to happen. I call this an, an aha moment when you realize you don't know what is going to happen next year. Um, I know for myself, my aha moment, you know, I graduated high school and I'm like, ah, oh, what's going to happen? And for me, it was a shock to the system moving from Utah where I grew up my whole life and I went away to Louisiana to go to school and that was a whole different world to me, you know, and just the change that happened there. The next group that's happening this morning, and Ira mentioned this, is, is uh, our youth camp young people. We have a bunch of young people that were uh, taking the youth camp in July and it's a, a, also one of those times where they can have an aha moment where they go to this camp expecting God to do something in their life and God hits them. And they come back saying, God, I want to grow in my relationship with you. I realize how important you, it is to have you in my life. And they have that aha moment. Um, the third one is we're going to do after second service is the baptismal, where we have three people being baptized. And it's, it's that point in their life where they have this aha moment where God becomes so real that they want to show everybody else that I've made a decision in my life to follow God. And I want to do it publicly and show them publicly by being baptized. And then the last one is something we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, and some of you guys may know what's going on, is, is we're, we're in a uh, kind of a thing of trying to purchase this building. And we're in dialogue with the owner and, and the stuff that's going on there, and we've challenged the, the congregation, we've challenged each one of us not only to be praying for that, that God would open up that door, but also that God would start to challenge you to give in that area. We have to raise um, over $400,000 to, to be able to move forward in this situation. And so we're challenging us as a body to, to start moving in that direction. And that's an, also an aha moment. You know, you've been maybe just new to this church or you've been coming to this church for years and, and you give your tithe, but you never really had that of saying, you know what, can I give above and beyond that? And so that's, I'm going to pull all four of these things together and just share um, the main thing that keeps coming out. And that's, that's what I call an aha moment in your life. And, and what that means. An aha moment is a moment of sudden realization, inspiration, insight, recognition, or comprehension. I know for my own self, uh, my aha moment came between my ninth and 10th grade year um, where I was a, a young kid that grew up in church. I knew all the stories. I knew who God was. Um, went to youth group. I worshiped and all that kind of stuff. But I really hadn't given God my all and stepped all in. It was between my ninth and 10th grade year that God just really revealed himself to me in a powerful way. And he says, it's time, Chase, for you to step it up in your walk with God. And it was that aha moment where I saw him differently. And my whole life, my whole future, everything that, that I had dreamed of started to change because he started to speak to me and call me where he was calling me to go. Not only for school, not only in my future, not only in my desires, um, but, but saying, this is, this is the plans that I have for you. And this is what I want you to do. And, and it was around that time I got called into the ministry and I went away from the, the the ideas that I wanted to do to God saying, I want you to study to be a minister. And so it was that aha moment for myself. It wasn't me coming to a realization and deciding to help myself. It wasn't a self-help realization. And, uh, you know, self-help is one of those oxymorons. We all know what those are, right? It's like bittersweet. 
Jumbo Shrimp, Silent Alarm, Invisible Ink, Twitter Conversations, um, Microsoft Works, um, Broncos Football, <laughs> and you can think of a few others, right? <laughs> And you don't, need to, you don't need to ask anyone where the self-help section is in Barnes & Noble because that would defeat why you're there, right? Um, but it's usually one of the largest sections in the store. It says that it's an $11 billion industry. And so I looked up some of the books that come in a, in a self-help bookstore. Um, there's books like How to Make People Like You in 90 Seconds or Less. So I bought one for Doug Lee. <laughs> How to Get a Girlfriend. How to Get Your Boyfriend Back, Becoming a Better You, How to Act Like a Lady, and then this one I liked is How to Think Like a Man, and there wasn't any words, just pictures, <laughs> right? So self-help, but I've talked to so many people, and especially teens who've tried everything, and especially all the self-help paths that they would go down, and, and they would do okay for a few days, and they would strive on trying to help themselves move forward in all these different areas, but usually it fell apart. And what they really needed is what I call a spiritual aha moment. And I'm going to explain what that is of, of having a spiritual aha moment. A spiritual aha moment is gaining spiritual understanding, recognition, or resolution that brings about lasting transformation. Aha moments can't be explained, meaning there are no books titled how to have an aha moment. Aha moments have to be experienced, have to be experienced. Life collides with God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit, and you have an aha moment. So the three ingredients I'm going to talk about is just taking that, the word itself, the aha, the A-H and A, and, and I'm going to pull a point out of each of those letters. And the first one in having the aha moment um, is a sudden awakening, having a sudden awakening. And... Um, we're going to be reading out of Luke chapter 15. You can follow me, Luke chapter 15. And this is a story where Jesus was being challenged by some of the teachers and the Pharisees of that time. And Jesus was so good at not getting angry when they questioned him and, and, and just really saying, okay, you know, let me explain this to you. And he would tell stories and he'd get them to think about it in the story. So this is what Jesus is doing right now as he shares a story that we probably, every one of us have heard since we were kids. And it's the story of the prodigal son. And I'm going to tie this into our aha moment. Um, Luke chapter 15, I'm going to read verses 11 through 13. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had set off for, and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So first of all, him even asking for his inheritance was basically like telling his father, I wish you were dead. Because that's when they get the inheritance, is when the father passes on. So him going up saying, you know what? I can't wait for you to die, pops. I wish you were dead right now, so can I have my money? And that's what happens right there. And he gets his money, and he sets off for a distant country. And, and what that spoke to the teachers and, the, and the, the Pharisees at that time is by leaving his country, he was basically leaving his faith. He was walking away from, from what he believed. Um, it wasn't just getting my money and spending it there, but he left for a distant country. He walked away from what he was believing. And um, the distant country, I looked at that and I said, what is the distant country in our lives? What does that represent in the life of us where we leave God out? 
And so think about it in your own life. Where, what are some areas uh, or some distant countries where you leave God out of your life? Is it in your relationships? Is it in your school, your job, or your future? Do you leave God out of your thought life? Do you leave God out of your secret sins, out of your music, out of your addictions, out of your finances, or out of your treasures? You know, we're a generation that is consumed with the here and now, and we're not worried about the later. So back to the first part of our aha moment, that sudden awakening. And I don't know how you get woke up in the morning. Um, you know, some of you, it might be your dad or mom comes in, wakes you up. Hopefully not the older ones. That'd be weird. But, you know, the younger, younger people. But some of us, it's, a, and it's an alarm clock that goes off, and we roll over and hit snooze four or five times, and then we get up. Or, you know, you, you might have just different ways that you kind of get uh, woken up. And, uh, you know, it might be music, it might be the beeping sound, you know, it might be your dog barking. But uh, I thought about that, and I had a college roommate who had the hardest time, hardest time getting up in the morning. I mean, every day it was a battle. Even if he went to bed early, he would, he would get up and, and, you know, if he ever made it up. And I used to get up early just to watch him go through the struggle of rolling out of bed and just trying to get his head clear to even get out of bed. And so my, my roommate, Clint, decided that he was going to get one of those alarm clocks that has the two real big bells on the top. And when it goes off, it's like the most obnoxious noise you've ever heard. And it wakes up like the whole apartment complex. And um, it would get him up because he would shoot out of bed because he'd, he'd run to his dresser. He had to put it across the room, too, so he wouldn't just tip it over. And get himself up so he heard him turn it off so the rest of us in our apartment wouldn't wake up, which it never worked. All of us were like, okay, we're up. And uh, I remember one morning, his alarm going off and um, big six-foot-four kid jumps out of bed. The alarm's going off and he goes screaming up to his, his dresser and he stands there staring at the alarm clock. And I'm watching him like, are you going to turn that off? And I don't know if you've experienced this before where your arms fall asleep while you're sleeping because maybe they were a certain way. And he had reached his alarm clock and realized that he couldn't move his arms. And he's staring at his alarm clock trying to figure out, how am I going to turn this off? And so he began to, which I'm watching him, swing his arms like this (laughs) until he could get both of his hands up on his dresser to try to get this alarm clock off. And by that time, I'm like, you know, I'm in tears going, dude, I'll turn it off for you. Um, But this this awakening, you know, what, what wakes us up? What wakes us up? What gets us going? Um, and, and for, for this young man, he'd gone off, he, he'd gone to a distant country, he'd left his faith, turned his back on his family, and it said he went and he just started living wildly, living any way he wanted to, throwing it all aside. But then it goes on, and I'm going to read verses 14 through 20, and then we're going to be kind of touching those on these verses through the rest of the sermon. But it said this happened, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to be a citizen of the country. He hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out And go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And so he came to his senses. He came to his senses. Um, That was his sudden awakening. It's like 
my buddy coming to a sense of we're running across, across the, the room to try to turn that alarm off. It was like this understanding of, of what I have to do. And there's alarms sounding right now in, in many of our lives. And, and what is that alarm? What is, what is trying to wake you up to have an aha moment with God? And I put an example down. It's, it's like me being a dad and, and standing at the top of my driveway and watching my son ride his bike down the driveway. And uh, I see a car coming. And so what do I do? I put down some different options that I could do. I could be a dad and say, you know what? He's got to learn somehow, right? He gets hit by the car. He won't do it again. Um, or I could say, hey, Zeke, I think it's a good idea that you stop in a normal voice, right? And he's going to keep on going because he's focused on going down that driveway. Or I can scream, stop, and wake him up and get him to stop because he doesn't realize where he's facing. And, and many of us in our life right now, need that alarm clock in our life where God is crying out and it's not just a simple little voice saying, hey, what's going on? What are you doing? You know, it's God crying out saying, stop, trying to get your attention. So how is God trying to get your attention? Is it through a friend? Is it through a sermon? Is it through his word? Or is it you hitting rock bottom? If you're on a path to a distant country, step back and ask yourself, where is this leading? Or when will I stop running? You know, especially for the graduates, you know, where, where's my life leading and when will I stop running? Um, I asked a, a bunch of our young people and I asked people that have been in my youth ministry before or people that have come across in ministry and I said, what was, what was the statement of, of when I stopped running from God, when? And I said, finish that sentence for me. I stopped running from God, when? And these are some of the, the answers that came to me. As I stopped running from God, when work and my family life seemed to be at its lowest, I had no choice but to look to him. He showed up in power, not because of anything good I did, but because of his love and my faith in him. Another one said, I went on a missions trip and I started praying for people. Another one said, I fell in love with Jesus. My ears were opened and I heard God speak to me. I stopped running from God when I found out I wanted him more than anything else. I stopped running from God when I realized that God loved me. Then I started to run to him. One year at snow camp, someone prayed for me. I started to cry my eyes out. That's when I realized that God really cared for me, and he was the only one that could love me that much. I just felt like I was a part of something. I stopped, I stopped running from God when I realized I was broken without him. Another one said, when I saw the truth. Another one said, I, I stopped running from God after a night of partying. I was raped, and I felt lower than I'd ever had in my life. And I realized someone loved me and could restore me. I stopped running from God when trying to do it my way. I married someone who wasn't a, a Christian, believing I could get them saved. After my marriage fell apart and I myself had walked away from God, homeless, penniless, and addicted, I cried out to God, and he heard me. And, and another young man I talked to says, I, I stopped running from God when my father-in-law was shot on my marriage night. My marriage never really started and seemed to fall apart from the beginning. I walked away from God. I turned to alcohol and hit rock bottom. But I remembered my upbringing in the church, and I cried out to God. He removed my addiction. He restored my marriage. And now him and his wife do marriage conferences around the nation, and he pastors the church. So I stopped running from God when? So what is your stop running moment? What is it going to take for you to stop running? Is it a difficult circumstance? A difficult circumstance might just be the realization that you can't make it on your own and you need God. 
In the prodigal son, the difficult circumstance was something that wasn't even his fault. If you read through that scripture and, and early on in there, it, it said that after he had you know, squandered all the, his wealth and wild living and spent everything he had, he said there was a severe famine. That wasn't something that he caused. It was just something that happened at that time. It was, it was something that, that was there. And we all prefer lives free from pain and anguish for ourselves, our friends, and our families. But is this really what's best? If you erase hardship or pain from your life, what is going to propel you into a deeper relationship with God? What is the number one contributor to spiritual growth? Is it A, worship? Is it B, preaching? Is it C, small groups? Or D, none of the above? And it's actually D, none of the above. The number one contributor to spiritual growth is difficult circumstances. Proverbs 20, 30 says, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Difficult circumstances usually bring about two different responses. Either we cry out to God in desperation or we turn and walk away from God. We blame him. Which way will you go? There was a professor of one of my young people um, that had gone through my youth group and he came back and, and told me this story. And there's actually a, a book out and, and I think I may have mentioned this before, but there was a professor at um, Whitworth University and his name was Gerald Sitzer. And he told the story of a drunk driver had run into Gerald's minivan. And in that accident, he lost three generations. His mom, his wife, and his daughter. He wrote a book about it called Grace Disguised. Through this horrible ordeal, this is one of the things he learned from it. And this is a quote from him. The experience of loss does not need to be the defining moment of our story. But... A response can be the defining moment of the loss. So we have difficult circumstances. Another way that, that we, we learn from this is des- deserved consequences. Sometimes the consequences of our lives are deserved. And these are the things that we bring upon ourselves. And it says that the deserved consequence that the prodigal son has is he squandered all of his wealth on wild living. And so he had consequences from him doing that. Desperation reveals dependence. How desperate will you have to be before you realize your dependence? So my first challenge this morning was the A on the ha moment is having this a sudden awakening in your life. This sudden awakening where this alarm goes off. And it leads to the second thing. And that's the H in this. And I call this brutal honesty. When you have a sudden awakening, you need to have brutal honesty. Has someone ever said something about you and it stuck with you forever? I remember, and it was something that was brutal honest, is as a young man, my dad um, called me out on something, and uh, he called me lazy, and I was, but I didn't want to hear that as a kid, and he actually made me go through the Bible and, and find all the verses that talked about lazy, and there's a lot of them, you know, and I was like, wow, um, but it was something that stuck with me, and it was something that challenged me to, to, to not be identified by that, that I don't have to be lazy. And, and I pushed and I pushed myself to, to, to move fat past with that, but it, it was something that always had stuck with me. It was that brutal honesty. So we're going to go back to verses 17 through 19. And this is the prodigal son being brutally honest. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer to be worthy to call your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so it said, he said, so here he is, he's at the end of his rope, the alarms are going off, and he's talking to himself, right? 
because no one else is there except for the pigs. He might be talking to the pigs, you know. And he's, he's having this conversation, and he's being brutally honest with himself. Brutally honest with ourselves is begins when we look in the mirror and we are honest with what is really going on inside of us. No one likes admitting his or her faults or failures, right? When there is recognition but no repentance, aha doesn't happen. When there's recognition but no repentance, I mean, when you see those things but there's no repentance for that, aha can't happen. The sudden awaking must lead to brutal honesty. The big difference between regret and repentance. Regret happens when you get caught or found out. We've all been there, right? There was a great video that came out a little while ago on Facebook, and there was a little boy, and he had frosting, blue frosting, all over his face. And his mom had just made cupcakes with blue frosting. And she went up to her son, and she's like, did you eat one of the cupcakes? And with the most serious face ever, he's like, no. Why would you think I ate one of those cupcakes? And you have have to pull it up because it's this little boy, and he's really trying to let his mom know that he didn't eat one of those cupcakes, you know, even though the evidence was all over him. And and I think in our life, sometimes we do that too. We know something that's going on in our life, but we're not going to admit that we did it. Even though it shows up in how we treat others, it shows up in, in, in the way where we're reacting to things. And it's like we have blue frosting all over our face. An apology is an expression of regret. It's, I'm sorry. And most of the time, I got caught. Where a confession is an admission of fault. I'm sorry because I did wrong. Some brutally honest questions that, that we need to ask ourselves that, that I want to challenge you with is, did I spend more time on Facebook or in prayer this week? When was the last time you said to someone, I was wrong, please forgive me? What sin have you not confessed to God or anyone else? When was the last time you sat with an open Bible? Did you spend more money on coffee or other habits than in what you gave above and beyond your time? Many of us give more money to the gym, to the coffee shop, to the tattoo parlor, to the beauty salon, to the cable TV company than we would ever give to God. That's just being brutally honest. And I'm not just speaking to you guys. I speak to myself in that because there's so many things that we get so wrapped up in ourselves and we say, you know what? This is all I really have to give to God and the rest of it's for me. The rest is about me. But are we being brutally honest? There's so many other questions you could ask yourself. And, you know, I had a a crazy experience happen Thursday. This has been one of the busiest weeks of my life, it seems like, of all the stuff that's been going on with church stuff, trying to get ready for, with graduation, with the the barbecue. We had a a summer splash yesterday. We had uh, the whole back end was um, kids running around, getting wet, getting dunk tanked, all this kind of fun stuff that we had happening. And then on top of that, my son was in a baseball tournament, and I'm his coach, so three hours a night, every night, we had baseball. And so I was just like, oh, I was exhausted, all these things happening. And I get a phone call from a gentleman, and uh, it's an older gentleman, and I could hardly understand what he's saying on the phone. And he's a, he's a guy that actually about three weeks ago visited our church and hadn't been here before. But I knew him from about 16 years ago when he played on a church basketball league with me. And back then he was old, so I was like, wow, it's good to see you, you know. He was, he was you know, this, he still did the hook shot, you know, not many guys do the hook shot anymore, and he could make it almost every time. And he called me up and he said, hey, I want to meet with you. Um, will you meet me at Chase Bank? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't eating food. I'm like, I'll meet you at a bank. But no, it was this, this older gentleman, and he just, you know, he goes, you know what, I'm, I'm winding down. He said, I didn't know if I was going to make it through the night last night. And he said, I, I want to give your ministry some money. 
And, uh, you know, because, you know, he goes, I can't take it with me. He said, if I give it to my family, they're just going to squander it. You know, they're not believers. And so I wanted to go to something worthy. And so he took me in and he handed me an envelope full of money and said, use this in your ministry. You know, let God bless this. Because he's seeing beyond, you know, beyond himself. And he's just saying, God, what can I do with this? What can I, you know, how can I be a blessing in this area? And, uh, you know, just being brutal, brutally honest. One of the biggest things we have to avoid in being brutally honest is, you know, one of the things that st- steps out is denial. Denial. We begin to, to not say, this isn't me. This is, he's speaking to someone else. He's challenging someone else. You know, denial is not just a river in Egypt, right? But there's, there's three techniques of denial. Um, it's the whole mindset of, it won't happen to me. It won't happen to me. Back to the prodigal son. You know, it wasn't the first day on his job that he was like, oh, poor me. You know, he said he went out and he hired himself out, and he was working this job. And he's thinking, like, this is okay. You know, I had my fun, I partied, now I'm just going to work my job. And he's working this job, and he started to realize, and he started to be brutally honest with himself. He's like, I'm feeding pigs. The pigs are eating better than I am. What's going on here? It wasn't his first day on the job. He was eating with the pigs. He wanted to eat their slop, and it... Day after day, they started to, to, to dig on him. And I started thinking, you know, what keeps a person in the pig pen of life? What will wake you up? And for him, in verse 17, he said that he came to his senses. He came to his senses. He said, I'm starving to death. So what is the reality of your circumstances? Reality is the state of things that, as they actually exist. Not how you wish they were, but what actually is existing in your life right now. So there's three different stages of denial. Um, the first one is disagreement. Disagreement. Have you ever had a conversation with someone, and even though they knew they were wrong, they still disagreed with you? You know, it, you weren't going to change your mind. You know, no matter if you had all the proof, they were just going to disagree with you. Facts and truth doesn't matter when it goes against what you want to be true. Your mind is made up. Blaise Pascal, the philosopher, said this, people almost invariably arrive at their beliefs, not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. The next part of denial is defense. Defensiveness often reveals an area of our lives where we're in denial. We defend ourselves by avoiding confrontations with the truth or turning things around and pointing the finger at someone else. As a pastor, I see a lot of this. Certain people who are very involved or very regular, and then they start struggling in areas of their own life, and they don't want to be brutally honest, so they stop coming to church. They stop serving. They don't want to meet with you anymore. They don't want you to look you in the face. Because they'd rather be in denial thinking that nothing's wrong than to be brutally honest. And the last one is distraction. Distraction is easier to live in denial about one part of our life if the other parts are busy and going well. On the outside, we might look great. We might be involved in church, teaching a Sunday school class on the worship team, involved in school, have lots of friends, volunteer, great family, but I don't read my Bible. I don't pray. I'm masking what's going, really going on inside of me. But aha moments often begin for some of us with oh no moments. An example of that was King David. King David was, as God described him, a man after his own heart. 
And we know, you know, as this explained up here, one of the, the great things that King David did before he became king of, of killing a, a, a giant. And the many battles that he won, but then he, he just kind of got lazy. And everything seemed to be perfect, and he fell into sin. And we know the story of, of him and Bathsheba and, and how he tried to cover it up by having her husband come in, and he wouldn't sleep with her because he was so loyal to his king. And so he sent him back out to be put to death, really, in the front of the, the, the fighting so he would die. So he can cover it all up. So he can cover up his sin. And is that what happened? You know, he tried to hide it, but it, it wasn't hidden. And God, God brought it out to the surface. And, and David realized that he had messed up, and he had an oh-no moment, and it brought him to an aha moment where he had to be brutally honest. And if you want to hear some of David's brutally honest honesty, read Psalms 51 and make it your prayer because he's brutally honest that he failed God, that he made a mistake. He says, God, help me. He was brutally honest. Have you ever used the it's not my fault excuse? Even though you know you did something wrong, it's easy to point the finger elsewhere than to take ownership of what you did. This is called projection. And, and this is something I found funny. Have you, have you ever noticed there are warning labels everywhere? You have to put warning labels on everything. You know, um, I get coffee and you have the warning label, caution, coffee might be hot. I'm like, really? Um, I bought a fire log and it said, caution, risk of fire. <laughs> okay. You know, and, and why do they have to do this? Is because we want to blame someone else for our actions. There's actually... A, a website that shows some of the lawsuits people have done because of their own actions. There was a lawsuit against a tractor, and they had to put this caution on a tractor. Caution, avoid death. There's one for a stroller company that said, warning, remove child before folding stroller. Because <laughs> someone folded their kid up in their stroller, right? There's one on uh, a Batman suit for kids that says, warning, Cape does not enable user to fly. Okay, first of all, Batman doesn't fly, you know, but still he has a cape, so I guess he should. They had to put that on there because some little cutie decided to fly in his Batman cape. Um, it wasn't my kid. Uh, on a chainsaw, it says this, caution, do not stop blade with your hand. And then I was even looking around, even in my office, there was a bottle of lotion and it says caution for external use only. And I'm like, really? Because my throat's really dry. <laughs> Drink some of that lotion down, dry, you know. But anyway, you know, why is that? You know, because we want, we want to project blame onto someone else. It wasn't my stupidity that I folded my kid up in a stroller. It was because you didn't have a warning thing Tell me not to do that, right? Our society is an expert at blaming others for our own stupid choices. Porn, drinking, texting and driving, Snapchat, speeding, all these different things we can point the finger elsewhere instead of saying, you know what, I need to be brutally honest with myself. Projection has been around from the beginning of time. You think of the first sin with Adam and Eve. And they ate the fruit, and then God came calling. And what did they do? They hid. And when God said, why are you hiding? You know, they were, they were afraid to be brutally honest, and they said, because we sinned. No, they didn't do that. First thing that Adam did is he blamed God and then he blamed his wife. You know, he said, it's your fault, God. You gave me this woman and she tempted me. And then when he, when he asked Eve, what did she do? She's like, yeah, I, that's my fault. No. She goes, it's that serpent. It's that serpent's fault. 
We're afraid to be brutally honest. Whom could the prodigal son have blamed? I mean, really, he, he could have passed the blame on to someone else. Could have said, you know, it's my friend's fault. They helped me party. They spent my money. Maybe they even talked him into doing it in the first place. Man, your dad's rich. Get some of his money. Let's go party. Just think how popular you'd be. Man, everybody will like you. You'll be the, the, the man on top. But we're his friends when he was feeding the pigs. It could have been his dad for giving it to him. Maybe he should have been a better parent and, 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 and said, no, I'm not giving you your money. You're going to go spend it on wild things. So he could have passed the blame on to his dad or it could have been his brother's fault. You know, his brother, he's so perfect. It's his fault that I did this. He could have blamed the, fa- the farmer saying, you know what, if he paid me more, I wouldn't be so tempted to eat the pig slop. You know, if my boss just gave me more money, I wouldn't have to steal from him. He could have blamed God, saying, God, if you didn't bring a famine or a better job, then I wouldn't be stuck in this place. And it doesn't even mention his mom in the story. So he could have blamed, you know, if if mom was more prevalent in my life. Maybe this didn't happen. You know, it's this projection of the blame. But he doesn't do this. It's so easy to blame our choices on others, but the prodigal son had a sudden awakening. And when he was in the pig pen, he went to the second part, which was the brutal honesty. And he said, I'm starving. And he gets real honest and says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'll be brutally honest. I have sinned. So we have a sudden awakening followed by brutal honesty, and then the last part, which is the action part. Take action. So our aha moment comes in. We can't just stop with an ah moment. Ah, that was good. You know, I had, I had this awakening, and then the brutal honesty, and then that's it. That's all I had to do. But we had to move it forward with the, the, the taking action. Taking action. So the sudden awakening was, was when he was in Actually, let me just say this. We have an awakening moment. We find strength to be brutally honest, but never get around to actually doing anything different. We spend much of our life stuck between honesty and action, and we never get to taking action. Sudden awakening was when he was in the pig pen. Is your life the life you really want to live? Followed by brutal honesty is when he admits that he has sinned, followed by taking an action. So Luke 15, 20, it says that he got up, and he went to his father. He could have sat there all day and got used to the smell all around him, just like many of us get used to the smell of sin all around us, where we don't even notice it anymore. We get numb to the jokes. We get numb to the language, to the words, to the pictures, to the actions, to the lying, to the anger, to the addictions, because we're afraid to be brutally honest. To put it another way, awakening happens to us. So the first part, the awakening happens to us. The, op, the, the honesty happens in us. But nothing really changes unless action comes from us. This is where most of us get stuck. Look at the connection between the two verses in this story. In verse 17, it says he came to his senses. And in verse 20, it says he got up. Without verse 20, verse 17 doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if you come to your senses and do nothing about it. You have to have the action along with it. 
Until there is action, our beliefs and convictions aren't genuine. And what, what I mean by beliefs, and, and, I, and this is the, as I close down, is there's three types of beliefs I, I put down here. The first one is public beliefs. These are the beliefs we try to get other people to think we believe. We talk about serving God, giving Him our all, but it's another thing to be actually doing it. Then there's our private beliefs. These are what we sincerely believe. But when these beliefs are tested, we discover we don't really believe them. The example found in the parable of the sower and what we do with God's word. You know, the, and I shared this with our kids on, on Wednesday. Um, I titled my sermon, Jesus is a Jolly Rancher. You know, what are you going to do with him? And I used the example of the parable of the sower and the seed that's thrown out. And each of us gets seed thrown out to us by the word of God on a Sunday morning I told the kids on a Wednesday night, or even in our own word, but it depends upon the soil on what happens, if fruit does come out of it. And it's the same thing happens here in, in our private beliefs. What starts to, to grow out of that is, is truly what we believe. And the last one is our core beliefs. These are ultimately the only true beliefs we hold because they are backed up by reality. These aren't just something we say. They're more than just something we feel. These are how we live. Our core convictions are determined by the actions we take. Don't tell me what your beliefs and values are. Get up and show me. When are you going to get up? Is your alarm sounding? Is your alarm sounding? Are you going to need an aha moment? And some of you guys have stepped into your aha moment already. God has spoken to you. You've had your sudden awakening. You've been brutally honest with yourself and what's going on inside of you. And then you took some action. But my challenge this morning is, is, is what is your aha moment? Is God calling you to an aha moment? What is going to wake you up? Is there something you need to be brutally honest with? To God or maybe to someone else? And then what? We don't leave it there. How can you take action? And so for the graduates here today, graduation was a sudden awakening. It's time to be brutally honest about your future. But all that means nothing if you don't take any action. For the rest of us in this room, have you had a sudden awakening, been brutally honest in where you are at and what's going on in your life? And now, what are the action steps God is challenging you to? And so I'm going to close in prayer. And, you know, my whole idea around this sermon is, you know, one, to challenge our young people that are graduating uh, about the next step in life. But I think it's something that hits every one of us in this room of having um, not just an awe moment, but an aha moment in our walk with God uh, where we take the things that we've learned in the scripture, take the things that we've heard and we start to apply them to our life. And we don't look at uh, someone else and say, wow, this would have been good for so-and-so. Or, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this, but say, God, what are you speaking to me right now in this sermon? What are you challenging me? Is there something that, that it, do I really need to wake up? Do I need to be honest in some areas of my life that maybe people don't know about? And how can I step forward in this, God? What are some of the action steps I can take? So if you can just bow your heads with me, I'm going to close in prayer. And uh, let God just speak to your heart. Let him be the one that challenges you. Let the Holy Spirit bring that conviction in your life and just say, God, how can I move where you want me to move? So Father God, I thank you, Lord, this morning. God, I thank you that you allow us to have aha moments in our lives. God, we know the story of the parable, the parable of the, the, the prodigal son, and he came back, Lord, and he had this moment of thinking that he would just be a servant, and he would be the lowest man on the totem pole, and yet 
his father ran, put a robe on him, had a party for him because he was taking action, God. And you're waiting for us, God. You're watching for your children, God, to have an aha moment and to come back to you and say, God, what action steps do I need to take? And you're not there to to beat us up or to put us down or to destroy us, God, because of our past or the things that we're dealing with, God. You're there to celebrate us because we're taking action in what's going on inside of us, God. So, Lord, I pray for everyone in this room right now. Maybe you've never had an aha aha moment ever in your life, and you're saying, God, I want to have one of those moments. I'm tired of living in my sin and holding on to this stuff inside of me, and I want to know you better, then you have a choice this morning to accept Christ in your life. And for the rest of us, as we're being challenged this morning, God, show me what actions I need to take. Show me where I need to be honest in my life, God. Move me forward in all that I'm doing. So God, we give you this morning. We give you our lives, God. We give you everything that we have, Lord. Speak to us, God. Speak to us in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you guys go. If you're still hungry this morning, don't mind a hamburger or burger for breakfast. We have food out there. Um, But uh, just bless our, our young people as they serve you guys. And again, God bless you for being here this morning.